Well, again, we're so grateful that you're here this morning, and we want to continue worshiping through the reading of God's Word. This is not only important to us as individuals, but corporately when we gather. And so each Sunday, we put the Scripture on the screen. You're going to see we're in Mark's Gospel as we come to the conclusion of this 12-week series in Mark's Gospel that will conclude next Sunday on Easter Sunday that we will celebrate a risen Savior. And today we're going to be in Mark chapter 15. And as you're turning there, I, I want to remind you, I don't want to assume that everybody understands the significance of Holy Week and what took place in Jesus' life this week. I am so grateful for Ben Carmel and his sister who were here earlier, local Galileans. I don't know if you saw that when we introduced them. Uh, so grateful for them to be here to remind us what was happening uh, in Jerusalem during Holy Week. Uh, Jesus spent the majority of his life in the Galilee area around Nazareth and around the edges of the Sea of Galilee. And there were only a few times each year where he and his family would travel to Jerusalem for festivals and Passovers. And it just so happened that things lined up divinely as God intended for Jesus to make his way to Jerusalem for the Passover festival uh, when the culmination of the end of his life and ministry uh, came to the forefront and when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, it's true, they, they were so desperate for a Savior that they yelled, Hosanna, oh Hosanna, which, which translates, save us, redeem us. And I don't know if anybody feels that way, but so many times in our lives, we're just, we're just so caught in the ruts of monotony and we, we want to be liberated from that. Or there's something going on in our life that we've tried to redeem and fix on our own and we can't. And many of us in very serious ways, we we really need rescue. And so the people felt that way. If that's how you feel, that's how they felt. And they laid their palm branches on the ground, as you saw earlier, as if to say, this one who's coming is a good man. He's a holy man. There's something special about him. But in the life of Jesus, and especially in Holy Week, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem was the high point of the week. If you don't know the rest of the story, his triumphant entry was the high point of his week. Shortly thereafter, among many other things, he would make his way to the temple to worship God, and he would notice that there were people that were charging the, the appropriate temple tax, but they were also charging extra to people and finding a way to make money off of people coming to worship God. And Jesus turned over the tables in the temple because Jesus, then as he does now, is always trying to remove barriers from people like you and me to have access to his Father. And shortly thereafter, the religious leaders who didn't appreciate that Jesus did that, they began to question his authority, not only his power to heal, how can you do that, but how dare you show up in the temple and do what you've done. And so this began a discourse between Jesus and the religious leaders where he even shared with them, you looked apart on the outside and everyone thinks you're holy and you pray out loud and you wear the right church clothes, but your heart is broken and sinful and it doesn't matter if it's right on the outside if there's something wrong on the inside. And that, that truth holds for us still today. Well, the religious leaders didn't appreciate that, as you might imagine. And so they began to plot how they would get rid of Jesus, literally how they would kill him to get him off the scene. And they wanted to take his life, but they, the Jewish people, were under Roman authority, and they didn't have the power to do that. It would be illegal. They would lose their lives for trying to take someone else's. And so they went to the Roman governor, a man named Pontius Pilate, they went to the Roman governor, the one who had the authority to pass sentence on people, and, and they asked him to, to take this man and judge him as they had and find him guilty. 
Well, much like many of the other people that made false accusations against Jesus, their accounts contradicted one another. Nothing would stick. And even Pilate said, I don't find anything wrong with this man. He's done nothing guilty of being executed. But the religious leaders stirred up the crowd and that mob mentality. They started yelling, we, we want Jesus to, to pay for what he's doing. We want him to be crucified. Crucify him. And the Roman governor could see that things were escalating beyond his control and fearing a rebellion and seeing that they weren't going to back down. He, he handed Jesus over to his soldiers and passed sentence that Jesus should be crucified. He should be executed. And so he handed Jesus over to his Roman soldiers. And it's so important for us on this moment to acknowledge what happened in the life of Jesus from his triumphant entry to his arrest and his execution because we will celebrate Easter next Sunday that there is life after death. But Jesus has to lose his life. He has to lay that down before we can walk into this place confidently and triumphantly next week. And so I want you to see exactly how Mark describes what happened next in the life of Jesus, because I think you're going to be fascinated if you don't know this story. And if you do, you're going to be more grateful and in awe of who Jesus was as God and as a man as he endured the shame of the cross so that we can find forgiveness and can find new life. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? And we're going to read from Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 15. And I'm going to start with verse 16 as Jesus was handed over to the Roman soldiers for crucifixion. It says, the soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, and called the whole company together. They dressed Jesus in a purple robe and twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on him. And they began to salute him and hail king of the Jews, they said, and they hit him on the head with a stick and they were spitting on him. And getting down on their knees, they paid homage to him sarcastically. And after they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. His name was Simon of Cyrene. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And then they crucified him and divided his clothes and casting lots for them to decide what each person would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified Jesus and the inscription of the charge written against Jesus was that he was the king of the Jews and they crucified two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by were yelling insults at him and shaking their heads at him saying, ha, the one who said he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, why don't you save yourself by coming down from the cross? And in the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him among themselves, saying, he saved others, but yet he can't even save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him, those that were on his right and his left, losing their lives, taunted him. And when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, See, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine fixed on a stick, and they offered it to him to drink. And they said, Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. 
And Jesus let out a loud cry and he breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing opposite of him saw the way that he breathed his last, he proclaimed, truly, this man was the Son of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you have accomplished for us on the cross. And as difficult and as violent and as hard as it was and is for us to comprehend, may we be a people that proclaim Christ and you crucified so that we may hold on to the promise of forgiveness and new life that it achieved for anyone who wants to receive it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know how you feel when someone mocks you, when they taunt you, when they make fun of you, when they make false accusations about you. I don't know how you feel when someone mocks your child or your family member, and it's all you can do to show restraint, to keep from speaking back, to keep from bowing up on, to keep from getting aggressive with people who mock you and taunt you and even make false accusations about you. But that's what was happening in this text. It had been happening in the lead up to Jesus' arrest and in the lead up to his trial before Pontius Pilate, if you will. It had happened already, and when he was handed over to the Roman soldiers, they jumped in on it as well. We read that they dressed Jesus in a purple robe. Purple was the color of royalty and majesty. That's a sarcastic way to say, you think this guy's a king? What king would allow himself to be a servant? Because that was Jesus' reputation. Mark 10, 45, the summary of Mark's gospel, the summary of Jesus' life and ministry was that he came to serve, not to be served. That's one of the things I personally love about Jesus. That is just one of the many things I love about Jesus that I would hope you would as well, that Jesus, who is God, did not use his influence and authority to lord over people. We all know men and women like that. It doesn't make us want to follow them. It doesn't stir up in us a desire to want to be their disciple, want to follow in their footsteps. But Jesus used his authority and his influence to serve and to minister and to bless others. So they sarcastically put this robe on him because he didn't look like the kind of king they expected. And many of us in this room, we've been looking for Jesus our whole life, someone who can do something about our brokenness, someone who can rescue us from the circumstances we're in. We're just looking for something different than Jesus. It's got to look the way we want. It's got to come at just the right time. And most of us, we want it to be convenient without hardship or rearranging things in our lives. And so we're looking for salvation. We're often not looking for Jesus. That's what these men were acknowledging So they put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns, and they began to salute him. They even kneeled down in front of him, and again, mocking him, taunting him, as if to say, you're not really a king. You're not really a king. I don't know how often you've been mocked or made fun of. I mean, we've all had those moments in elementary or middle school, and some more than others, where it was not fun. And even as adults, when people snip at us, I mean, you spend any amount of time on Twitter or social media, it can turn into this frenzy of people. You can just post your opinion and be attacked and mocked and made fun of. And I don't know if it makes you want to bow up, but right here as they kneel in front of him, I want Jesus just to start glowing and angels to descend and say, ha, take that, like I am exactly who I said I was. But Jesus doesn't do that. 
And the disciples stripped him of that robe after they had had their fun, and they put his clothes on him. And verse 20 says, they led him out to be crucified. Now, I don't know how much you know about crucifixion, and, and maybe you've heard this story before, and you're like, yeah, yeah like, it's, it's not pleasant. Let's don't go there. Well, one of the things I used to tell my Sunday morning Bible study teachers as a child, they might say, we're going to talk about Jonah today. He was swallowed by a big fish. And I would say, I've, I've got this one. I've heard this one before. Can I, can I just tap out for a moment? Maybe another round of goldfish, some snacks, something like, do I really need to lean in again a second and a third time? And all throughout my life, I have had teachers as a child and mentors and women and men who love Jesus tell me, listen, Aaron, sometimes you can read the same story your 30th time, 40th time, and the Lord will show you something new in that. So maybe you know this, but let's lean in a little bit more. If you don't know what crucifixion is, it, it was actually introduced by the Persians some 500 years before really the Roman Empire got rolling. But the Romans really perfected it. It was the worst way that you could take someone's life. And one of the things they did is they wanted to figure out how they could exact the most punishment out of someone's life before it ended. And so what they would do is they had crosses. They had the, the vertical beam that was driven into the ground all throughout Jerusalem. The Romans ruled around the Mediterranean over the area of Palestine, Jerusalem. And they had these beams, these vertical beams that were posted all throughout the city. And Wood was so expensive, nails and metal were so expensive that they reused the cross beams that people were crucified on. And so they beat Jesus and they flogged him, which means they ruthlessly, they ruthlessly and violently beat him. If you've seen Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, many biblical scholars think Mel did not go far enough in communicating how badly he was beat. They hand Jesus his cross beam, the bar that would go on the vertical beam, and they made him carry it out to the cross. And Jesus was 33 years old or thereabouts, and he was in, as best we can tell, relatively good health. But being young and in good health, he was no match for the beating and walking with this heavy weight on his back. And, and he made his way to his cross, and the weight of it was crushing him. And how fascinating, the man who would carry the weight of the world on his shoulders on the cross would take the sins of humanity on his cross the weight of the physical wood was crushing him. And so the Roman soldiers asked a man coming into town from Cyrene, Simon, to carry his cross. And, and they, they made their way to Golgotha, which is the place of the skull where Jesus would be crucified. And when they put Jesus on the cross, it was not only violent and inhumane. And I don't say that again so that you will feel uncomfortable, but I say that again so you will feel uncomfortable. I want you to, to feel, just even for a moment, maybe mentally, slightly emotionally, like what Jesus went through. I am ashamed to say, as some of you might admit too, that a large part of my childhood and my immature following faith of Jesus was, Jesus, do this for me. Jesus, answer this prayer. Jesus, I'll follow you if you do this. Turning Jesus into that genie in a bottle. Not acknowledging that Jesus, the man, fully God and fully man, endured the most horrific type of suffering that you can go through. And it was very public. It was very humiliating. What the Romans did is they put these crosses at intersections of roads and streets so that lots of people could see. And school children age people would walk through and see these people that were being crucified. It was as if it happened. It would be the modern day equivalent of being in front of a grocery store or a mall, somewhere very public where you would see it. And what the Romans thought was, if there's anybody out there who thinks they're special, if there's anybody out there who they're tired of being under Roman rule and they want to lead a rebellion, well, we're going to show them what happens to rebels. 
And it was to thwart people's uprising and those to stir up problems. And so it was very public. And so Jesus' suffering of being stripped naked and literally losing every shred of dignity about him, if you will, was fully on display for others. Now listen, the reason I tell you this and the reason this is so important is there's no doubt somebody in this room who's going through a hardship. There's somebody in this room going through hardship. I know some of them that are represented in this room. I don't know everybody's story. But one of the things I do when I make a hospital visit is I'm very careful never to tell anybody I know how they feel. Like, that's one of the things I do. That's one of the things I tell other staff members. Like, don't say you know how you feel. Because even if you've had a kind of similar experience, you don't know how they feel. And there are very few people that can identify with what you may be going through. But if you've had a rough week, if you've gone through a difficult three- to five-year stretch, if there's something going on that is so painful physically, emotionally, mentally in your life, if there is somebody who can identify, I'm going to suggest to you it's Jesus. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be mocked, to be made fun of, to have a bad week. That was this week. And that's what makes him different than other gods, lowercase g, false idols. When you pray to Jesus, he knows how you feel. He knows how you feel, and he knows what it's like to suffer. And so Jesus knows how you feel. That's incredible. That makes him different than any other religious god. The thing that makes it even better is we don't just want somebody who can identify Right? When I tell people I've had a bad week, last week I had a bad week, like I couldn't hear my, I felt like when I was talking, I was inside of a glass box, it was echoing, I had sinus, allergy, like we went from winter, as one of our members said, to full on like pollen Armageddon. And I felt awful. And as people were like, hey, what's up with your voice? And I thought to myself when I woke up last Sunday, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to sit under the preaching with the, the preacher talking about, hello everyone, good to see you. It was awful. And people were like, are you okay? And I'm like, I feel terrible. People were like, I know how you feel. I, I get pollen too. And that made me feel good. You know how I feel. What I really needed was somebody who could say, I know how you feel because you sound awful. But I can do something about it. And that's what happened when they gave me some strong antibiotics and other things to keep it from going to a sinus infection this week. I wanted somebody who could identify, but I wanted somebody who could do something about it, Right? We not only want somebody who can identify with their suffering, but someone who can do something about it. If you stick around long enough, you will, and especially next Sunday, be part of a celebration where the people of God talk about how not only Jesus can identify with what we're going through, but he can do something about it. Because he can gain victory over it. He can gain victory over the things that we cannot heal or restore or redeem in our own lives that we wish we could. And Jesus went through the suffering on the cross so that he could not only identify with you, but that he could offer help to you in your time of need. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 2.14, that since the children, since humans have flesh and blood, that's why God sent Jesus as a man. Since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these things so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery, all, the, all of the fear of death. And that's one of the reasons Jesus experienced what he did on the cross. So when you pray, he knows what it's like to experience what you're experiencing. But we know that he can do something about it. And as Jesus was crucified on the cross, and as people were publicly mocking him and could see his suffering, they divided his clothes at the foot of the cross, and they put a, an inscription above him, the King of the Jews which is fascinating because Jesus never presented himself as a political messiah or as, hey, look at me, the king's here. 
But again, they're mocking him. It's right above his head while he's suffering. And again, I read this. And I, I want Jesus to do something. Okay, so you didn't bow up on the religious leaders when they falsely criticized you. Okay, so when the Roman soldiers taunted you and made fun of you, you, you didn't defend yourself. I want Jesus to be a man. I want Jesus to, to stand up and like come down off the cross like, ah, and everything to start glowing and legions of angels to come down. Like, I really would have loved to see Jesus smack them around for a little bit and just head on back up. I don't know if anybody's ever felt that way, but as a child and as a young adult, I would say, why did, why did Jesus just do something about it? Why did he defend himself? And then it dawns on you. The reason Jesus is on the cross is because he's there to absorb the punishment that should have been given to me and you. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, that sin leads to death by nature and by choice. There's a lot of great, wonderful, moral, driven, successful people in this room. And every one of us are sinners by nature and choice. And what we deserve for that is death, physical, spiritual death. And the Bible says that God never intended us to struggle with sin and to be under the curse of brokenness. It's a beautiful world, but it's a broken world. I don't need to spend any time talking about what's wrong with the world. We know that. And so God sent Jesus to absorb that punishment that should have come from us so that he could take our brokenness and our sinfulness and offer us his righteousness. And that's what happened on the cross. God got the justice that was applied to the sinfulness of humanity in the finished work of Christ on the cross, shedding his perfect blood, God looked upon him as the punishment for our sin and satisfied the judgment against sin against us. So that when we place our faith in Jesus, we can be just as if we've never sinned. We can be presented before God in a right relationship with him as if we've never sinned. And that we can receive the righteousness of God. You know that robe thing, putting on these robes on Jesus. When we come to faith in Jesus, he, he clothes us with his robe of righteousness. These guys thought it was a punchline and a funny little gimmick. But what Jesus actually does is he gives us his robe of righteousness and he covers our brokenness. And he covers our sinfulness. And he says, in Christ, you can begin again. In Christ, you can have a do-over. In Christ, you can have eternal life that you can't provide for yourself. That's the forgiveness of sin. That's eternal life. That's what Jesus offers. And so I want Jesus to show up. I want him to bow up. I want him to defend himself. But here's what I want you to know about the cross. This is so important for you and me to remember. And Jesus was crucified on Friday. He's crucified on Friday, and we call it Good Friday. Looking at Jesus being crucified on Friday as good does not make any sense unless we understand what it was accomplishing. The reason it's good is because Jesus chose to purchase our forgiveness rather than defend himself. While he was on the cross, Jesus chose not to defend himself and not to come down from the cross in the face of taunt so that he could purchase our forgiveness. And that's one of the realities of Holy Week. That's one of the realities of the cross, that he didn't try to defend himself because he was purchasing our forgiveness. And as they taunted him and yelled at him, Jesus knew what I'm doing is providing for the forgiveness of sin, providing for do-overs, even for the people. And, and this, is, this is almost scandalous. Jesus is laying down his life for the people who are crucifying him. And they put nails in his hand. He said, forgive them, God. They don't know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. 
I mean, for the people that are taunting and mocking, he's shedding his perfect blood to cover them with his righteousness. And many of them chose not to believe in him. And that's the same way it is in 2019. Some people will say, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I need a little more proof. I need a little something else. I got news for you. If Jesus had come down off the cross, you know what someone probably would have said? Oh, this is like a David Copperfield type moment. I don't know how he did it, but he did something kind of magical there. I need a little, like one more thing. I'm just going to need something else. And the way I know that is I've done that. Like, Lord Jesus, I just need, can you just manifest yourself in my life one more time? And then I'm in. And then I'm in. And, and, and here's why you need to envision what happened to Jesus on the cross. I, I, I bet this is going to mess with some of us. Could you imagine standing at the foot of the cross? Broken, beating, bloodied, naked, humiliated Jesus. Purchasing our forgiveness. And actually me. Or you saying to him, I just need you to do one more thing. I just need you to answer one more prayer, and, th- and then I'm in. I know I haven't lived like I should, but like, if you'll just do this for me, I promise you, like, it, it makes me embarrassed, me for me. And, and when we think about giving our lives, giving our finances, giving our resources to Jesus, I, I think it would be helpful for any of us not to stand at the foot of the cross and try to make deals with Jesus. That's for me. But I'm betting that connects with all of us. And Jesus never defended himself so that he could purchase our forgiveness on the cross, so that he could offer us his righteousness. Because if he comes down, there's no perfect Savior to take our punishment. And if you want to know how much you're loved by God, if you feel unloved, chances are good there's somebody in the room who feels unloved because nobody's demonstrated that to you before. Or they've shown you that their love is connected to what you do for them. Their approval of you, their love for you is connected to what you do. And here's what I want you to know. John, a writer of his gospel and one of the followers of Jesus, said it this way in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. If you want to know if you're loved or not, God's love is revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God. It didn't start with us, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning, that means the substitute, the satisfactory offering on the cross for our sins. That is the full manifest love of God. That is how much the God of the universe who made you, who knows you best and loves you most, demonstrated the full extent of his love and desire to be in relationship with you. That's what Jesus purchased for us this week. That's what he made possible on the cross. That's why Good Friday is Good Friday. Because of what he did for us, forgiveness, second chances, do-overs, new life. And we will celebrate that on Sunday. We will celebrate that a crucified Jesus is now a risen Jesus. And when Jesus is raised on Easter Sunday, guess what that says? Death can't hold me down. There's nothing that can hold me back. Not sin, not death, not even the worst type of death can keep me from being God and doing what God has sent me to do. And if Jesus is alive in you, then the power of the resurrection is alive in you. Which not only means you can be in Christ, but you have in you the ability to face whatever storms or hardships life may bring to you. You have the ability to have confidence and hope even when things are difficult. And they do get difficult. Following Jesus doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. Following Jesus doesn't mean everything's going to be simple or blissful. But it means you have an advocate, you have a helper, you have a savior who has withheld nothing from demonstrating his love and his desire to equip you for whatever you will need in this life. That's what Holy Week is about. That's what the cross is about. Jesus and him crucified so that we can find new life. 
That's who our Jesus is, fully God, fully man, so that you and I can find our identity and our worth and our value in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment.